Hey everybody, it's Justin, as in Mike's Justin. I have been asked to help remind and or warn you that, since the Bible is the Bible after all, there are a couple of moments in this episode where the normal fun gets a bit... dark. To be a tad more sexplicit, in this episode, there are some instances of both sexual violence and incest. If this is triggering for you, or simply not something you want to hear right now, we totally understand and wanted to give you a chance to choose not to continue. Now with that out of the way, thanks so much for listening. The episode will begin momentarily. Pause for dramatic effect. One, two, three. In my experience, ovaries are very hard to hold. There are no rules to this podcast. Mm -hmm. There's no rules. Welcome to Holy Spirits, the show where we're not going to heaven, but you might be. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) I still think I have a 50-50 shot, you guys. I just really have given up hope. 2020 has really solidified the fact that I'm not getting in. So Yeah, girl, we're done. Yeah. My name's Mike. I'm Tara. I'm Heather. Our Holy Spirits of the day. I'm drinking truly because that's basically the only thing available to me that I don't have to like prepare. Fair. Like I'm not going to like mix myself a fancy drink because we don't have any of the ingredients for it. And I don't really like beer very much anymore. So there you go. An insight into Mike's where he's at with drinks. We've just all given up. Yeah. 2020 is garbage. Yeah. I uh, I just finished my bottle of white Zinfandel. The bottle wasn't full. It was, there was just some left. Just, Heather, we would clarify. not judge you for drinking the whole bottle. Like, listen. I, was like, I was like, we are two minutes into this, but I would not judge you for drinking the whole bottle. I mean, I would say maybe it was a fourth full. That's fair. And then, so now I just opened up my favorite go-to, which is Smirnoff Original. Mm-hmm. Na- natural lemon-lime flavor. Sounds delightful. I'm going to an oldie but a goodie, a rum and coke. Ooh. Oh, mm-hmm. that sounds good. That was my first drink. Ever? Your first drink ever? Yeah, that was my first drink in high school. And I love the high school part. Mine, when I was 21, because I'm a good girl, was a mojito. Aww. Love me a mojito. Me too. No, I, okay, I will not pretend like my rum and coke in high school was like, like a, I wasn't partying in high school. I wasn't mm-hmm. like rebelling and doing a good job. I was at one party where there was alcohol. I was there with the Quidditch team. And we drank <laughs> rum and coke. We were not cool. We did not rebel. It was not like a thing. I don't think anybody who says that I was at a party with the Quidditch team would ever be in the rebelling. Yeah. Or the column of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will date myself. My first drink was near the end of my senior year and it was a peach passion. Not a purple passion, a peach passion. I don't know what that is. Hence my age. <laughs> it's like a wine cooler. <laughs> You know, Bartles and James. It wasn't oh. Bartles and James, but, you know, it's like a wine cooler. I also dabbled a little in Boone's Farm. Boone's Farm. <laughs> Boone's Farm is going to sponsor us, you guys. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think if you are true listeners will remember that mm-hmm. that's how the marriage of my parents got started, was all off of some Boone's Farm. There so that was a, 
a sweet place in my heart. In Holy Spirit's lore. <laughs> I mean, like we've discussed, I could technically be your mother, Tara. You could very easily be my mom, and it'd be like a very normal age. I could easily, I could easily be Mike's mom. <laughs> I could easily be your mom, Mike. <laughs> like Tara, not not you. I think you're only about ten years older than me. Well, Mike, you're only fourteen. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you're like oh, nine. So, <laughs> but in reality, I think I would have been seven. I think that we need to say on the air that this week. Tara's facial recognition confused me with her son. <laughs> yes, my, my almost four-year-old son. I was going through um, clearing up some space on my phone, and so I was doing the backlog of photos, and it's like, would you like to tag this individual? And it was like, Arthur pictures, and I'm so I'm going through, and I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, that's my kid, that's my kid. And then all of a sudden, it's Mike's pictures. That first of all, didn't even know I had pictures of Mike in my phone. <laughs> So that was the first surprise of my day of being like, where did these come from? And then also, secondly, was that they were thinking that my good, good friend Mike was also my four-year-old. And I was like, well, this this right here, ladies and gentlemen, is as good as it gets. Oh, man. Okay, well, that was a fucking ride. Yep. Hold on, I didn't finish my drink for a second. I also wanted to tell you guys that I added maraschino cherries into it. So it's like a cherry rum and coke. I did the juice and a cherry, but I don't actually like the taste of like the actual cherry. So it will just sit on the bottom with the ice. The point of my cocktail story is just to remind everyone that I'm the only person who put real effort into this. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll put that the Holy Spirit of the day is rum and coke. If you're drinking yeah. along, that's what you should drink. If you are half-assing it like the rest of us, there you have it. Yeah. yeah, all right, that's all I wanted, just some sort of admission that I'm better than both of you. <laughs> yeah, Tara's better than us. I, I'm bowing down to you because you are my queen. Tara's awesome. named after a biblical patriarch. Yep, <laughs> the one thing I'm hanging my hat on. Tara, Tara, Tara. Tara. We are on Apple Podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And please join our Facebook group, Holy Spirits the Podcast. Our email is holyspiritspodcast at gmail.com. So today we are wrapping up Abraham. Last time we did Abraham Part 1. This is Abraham Part 2, and there will be no Part 3. We're closing him out today. Can you guys... Tell me what you remember, if anything, oh, out of Abraham. I knew oh, you would say that. Oh, oh, I remember something. Okay. So he and his wife were kind of getting up there in years, and they still hadn't had a child. So his wife offered him the slave, a slave girl. I can't remember the names. Haggard. Haggard. Yes. Oh, that's right, because yes. I called her Haggard. I'm rolling back now. Haggard. Hager. And she was like, mm, and, but, you know, they went ahead and did it. And then what, what was, what was his wife's name? I want to say Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. And then Sarah, but then didn't Sarah get pregnant? Like later, later, later in life. Wait, wait, but wasn't her name technically something else? Oh, she was a priestess. Yes. Part of the theory is that she was a Mesopotamian priestess because she seems to have really high status. Yes. But didn't yes. she almost like get sold to like the the pharaoh or something yes they when they went to egypt yeah she got taken to pharaoh's harem because she was so beautiful so beautiful yes that and harem. sarah was beating the slave girl and the slave girl like ran away yes and then she came back but then the angels were like listen here you got to give that baby back 
Like, that's important. Mm-hmm. So she came back, and then she had Ishmael. 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 But Ishmael is, like, somewhat important, but not important. Like... He's, like, kind of important in he was a like, weird way. Yeah, it's like they wanted him to be the prince, but then it was like, we found a better prince, so bye, Ishmael. And I mean, who did who did Sarah have? Sarah, I think, didn't we end where, like, they were like, hey, Sarah should have a baby, and Abraham was like, she's old. And they were like, but we can give you a miracle. And he was like, mm, can you? I mean, yes, basically. So is her baby considered, like, a gift from God? Very much so. Very much a, a miracle gift from God because she should not be able to have a baby at her age. Because she was like a hundred. Yeah. She's like 90 or something. At the end of our previous episode, I said that Sarah has her son and I got ahead of myself because God tells Abraham that Sarah will have Isaac, but Sarah has not yet had Isaac. In the Isaac. So Isaac's going to get born this episode. I dated a guy named Isaac in high school. Oh. Was his mom like a million? <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. Uh, so yes, Abraham and his family come from Mesopotamia. They go to Canaan, which is the promised land. That's Israel. They are really rich. And another important thing, because you guys are like nailing it with the whole handmaid and Isaac situation. But one other thing that I want to say before we get into the second part is it's relevant that Abraham's nephew, Lot. Oh, yeah. Lot. Yes. yes. So Lot went to Sodom because his um, his grazing cattle and animals and shit, they were on the same land as Abraham's. So their herders kept having conflict. So Lot took his herds and he went off to, to Sodom. And like left and was like, bye, uncle. Yes. And he actually, he got in a brief scrape with the king of Sodom because remember there was like a brief battle and Abraham had to go rescue him. Oh, yes. Just to kind of get us started out, um, I'm going to issue the warning that I texted you guys earlier, which is we're going to get into some weird sex stuff this episode. Like, I threatened sex stuff with Abraham 1, and, like, the Hager thing is pretty weird, but this time we're going to, like, really get down to business. So if anybody's listening with children... I was just going to say that. I mean, I I don't really know why you would listen to this podcast with children, but if you are, no judgments... I mean, like, if, if you're a lax mother like I am. <laughs> and excuse me, but we are a educational podcast. Yes. Our backbone is education here. Mm-hmm. I mean, the children have to learn about it somehow. somehow. Yeah. Our backbone is alcohol and profanity. <laughs> Hence the great education we're providing people. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Literally. Whew. Okay. So let's go on a journey through time and space. Yes. We find ourselves in front of a tent. It is Abraham's tent and he is chilling by the tent and he sees three men approach. And for some reason, he immediately knows that they are sent from God. So he asks, he has some water brought so they can wash their feet because it's really dusty in the Middle East. He has Sarah go get some flour. She makes some bread. So apparently one of these three men actually is God. He answers to Lord, which I think is interesting. It's kind of that thing that we talked about in the angels episode where it might be like an angel of the Lord, where the angel is just like a sock puppet and God is talking, but it might also be that God actually came down as man, like whatever. Abraham gets meat and milk and curds and they all eat. And then one of them says that Sarah is going to have a son in the next year. And she actually laughs out loud because she's so old. 
Uh, and she's like, that's never fucking happening. So this is Genesis chapter 18, verse 13 from the New International Version. It says, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> like, that's what the fucking Bible says. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you fucking laughed. The Bible's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, 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 I didn't yeah. laugh. No, I didn't. So then the Lord, there's this really weird thing. The Lord, like, wonders aloud to himself in the Bible, which I think is really interesting. And he wonders whether or not he should tell Abraham that he's going to Sodom. And he decides that because Abraham is so blessed, he should tell him. So he says, I've heard really bad shit about Sodom. So I'm going to go down and see if that shit is true. And Abraham says that, you know, we all know that Sodom gets up to some bad business, but like, if there are good people in the city, then it's probably not worth destroying. So if there are 50 righteous people, that's probably worth keeping the city, you know, because God shouldn't treat good people the same as bad people. And so then Abraham says, well, you know, actually, now that I'm like thinking about it, what if it was like just shy of 50? Like, what if it was like 49? Like, that's ridiculous, right? Like they're one person short and you're still going to destroy the whole city. And God's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So God agrees 45 righteous people. And then Abraham's like, but, but what if it's just shy of 45? I mean, and so God agrees to 40 and they keep negotiating down until God says that he won't destroy Sodom if there are 10 righteous people in the city. Okay. Fair. I mean, that yeah. seems like some really fair negotiation here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like we didn't even, before we flooded the whole world, we didn't even wait for that many. So like, yeah. Mm-mm. It's interesting to me that first of all, it's clearly a moralistic lesson of, you know, you shouldn't paint everyone with the same broad brush and like punish people who are good. Uh, if just because they're surrounded by bad people. But also the thing that really gets me is how human God is in this like little piece. Mm -hmm. I think he would even have a conversation about it. Yeah. He like doubts himself before he starts talking to Abraham. And then Abraham is just like, no, no, you don't want to do that. And God's like, oh no, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't do that. And it's like, but you're God. It's it's almost like Abraham is tricking him. Mm -hmm. It kind of like, it reminded me of, the story of Tantalus in Greek mythology, where Tantalus is doubting that the gods are omniscient. And so he, instead of feeding them like cow and like animal sacrifices, he feeds them a, a human. <laughs> and as a punishment, they like cast him down. And it's like this whole thing because he like fed the gods human meat. Well, only Demeter ate it, but still. And, you know, the whole thing is that he wanted to trick gods. He wanted to like catch them and like manipulate them. And Abraham was doing that like much more successfully here. He's just like, no, no, I don't think you want to do that. And like does a Jedi mind trick. And God's like, oh yeah, no, sure. Totally. So God sends the other two men to Sodom. These are two angels. They walk in and they basically immediately meet Lot. And Lot greets them and he says, you guys, you have to stay with me. And they're like, no, no, that's fine. We can we can stay in the city square. Apparently it was like kind of normal to just like sleep in a public place. Just different times, I guess. But Lot's like, you guys don't want to do that. Like, come to my house, come to my house, come to my house. So they go over to Lot's house and they have a meal and everybody goes to bed. 
But before they go to bed, a crowd gathers, all of the men in Sodom, young and old, and they demand that Lot hand over the men so that the crowd may know them. Mm. Oh my gosh, this is not how I expected this to happen. And so we know from Adam and Eve that no is a euphemism for fuck. Yeah, I mean, oh my. So there's a like kind of sanitized version that says that they want to interrogate the strangers. Like, you know, who are these people who are coming? We need to get to know them. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But so we have this like angry mob outside of Lot's house. And so Lot steps outside and he brings his two virgin daughters. And he says that the men have the protection of his hospitality, but like, he basically says, if you want to rape somebody, you can have my two virgin daughters because the hospitality is so important. So he just like offers them to the crowd. That is horrible. Isn't that fucking horrible? That is horrible. Wait, this is in the Bible? (laughs) This is fully in the Bible. And people like fight wars for this book? Like what are we doing with our lives? I mean, we're in the middle of the story. The story is ongoing. Okay, but still. And also, we have to remember too that women, especially unmarried women, are property, especially property of their father, right? But no one's going to want them if they're not virgins anymore. That's true, but so then they they're going to be like damaged goods. They as property of their father. Like the whole point yeah. is to barter them off on other people. And if they're not worth anything, then what good are we? Well, part of this incident in Sodom that's super important to understand is the hospitality aspect. Okay. It would be easier to have shamed daughters who you can't really marry off and, you know, they're damaged goods and everything. It would be easier to do that than it would to deal with the dishonor of having given up your guests to be gang raped. It doesn't make it good, just to be clear. <laughs> this whole thing is just like fucking disgusting and terrible. But that's the justification Lot probably would give. But if Lot is like, I'm assuming that this is just like the norm of the people. Yeah, so whenever there's visitors, is that what they do? It's super unclear. It's kind of implied that Sodom is a shitty place. Who wrote this shit? <laughs> I would never want to visit Sodom. Like, this obviously isn't where people go for, like, spring break. Yeah, it's, yeah. But so, uh, the crowd is not having any of this shit. They came to rape some angels. They did not come to rape some daughters. So they're threatening Lot, and they're trying to break down his door. Did they know they were angels? That's kind of unclear. It seems that they thought that they were men. Okay. But they were special men. Yeah, it's kind of unclear if they, you know, looked any different. It's kind of implied that they look like regular men. Maybe they were just hot men. They just had a glow about them. Yeah. I was just going to say, were they just like, literally, look at that ass type moment? I mean, yeah, very possibly. Oh, wow. But so the, the men slash angels, they bring Lot back into the house and they turn all the men in the crowd blind so they can't find the door. The angels they're just like no more seeing for you oh that's a baller move yeah and are the daughters safe <laughs> the daughters are safe yes okay all right so the angels say that lot like they have kind of seen enough pun intended and they say that lot should gather up all of his family and the belongings and everything because god is gonna nuke the city mm-hmm. and obviously 
they did not find 10 righteous men. <laughs> so yeah, that didn't super pan out. Uh, so apparently the idea is that it's going to be destroyed like soon, but not like right pipe. And now, so lot goes and he tells his daughter's fiancés, cause remember his daughters are unmarried, but it mm-hmm. seems that they have fiancés. Oh, and he goes and tells them that the city is going to be destroyed, but they think that he's joking. And so they don't listen to him. But do they try to keep the daughters because they're like supposed to be theirs? It it doesn't seem so. My understanding is that until they are married, the father owns the daughters. Mm-hmm. And so they don't really have a lot of say. Well, thank God for that. Yeah. Also, if they don't think the city's being destroyed, they probably don't believe that Lot is really leaving. Mm-hmm. Also, it's really unclear how they felt about the whole crowd rape situation. Which is super not fucking cool. Yeah, it's like, were they part of the villagers with pitchforks and fires? I can't imagine that the angels would have let like them do it, because then they would have been blind too, the fiancés. So I'm assuming if he could go talk to them that they weren't blind. Not that you can't talk to like non-blind people, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, if the uh, fiancés weren't in the crowd, then that means that the angels left people that they didn't actually interrogate. Either the fiancés were also trying to rape the angels, or the fiancés were on the other side of the city and the angels were like, listen, we've seen 15 people. I think we're done here. Yeah, obviously nobody here will be any good. Can you imagine if you lived on the other side of that and you were all good people and you just your entire city was fucked because of the other side of town? <laughs> like, wait a minute, you just landed in the wrong part of town. And you're like, god damn it! Why didn't you come to our side? Right. Yeah. So the righteous side, I'm making this up, the righteous side of Sodom goes to sleep and the angry rapists are still blind. But um, at dawn, the angels tell Lot to take his wife and daughters and he does. He hesitates, but they lead him out of the city and they tell him to run. They tell him to run to the mountains, do not look back and do not stop. Did he only have daughters? Yes, he only had those. uh, I think he only has two daughters, if I recall correctly. Okay. Every bad movie in the world starts with, or I guess has some part to it where it's like, run and don't look back. Don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. Yeah. This is the origin of cool guys don't look at explosions. Yeah. Lot convinces God to let him run to a small nearby town because that little town is going to get spared so that they don't have to like chance it in the mountains. He's like, listen, I'm not a hiker. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've seen these thighs, but I don't run. <laughs> it's like, oh, sweetie, I don't run. This, this is no sound of music. We're not climbing every mountain. Yeah. God rains down burning sulfur onto Sodom and Gomorrah, and he destroys everything. Oh, wait, Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah both. It's really interesting to me because it seems that Sodom is the only city that we like look at, but Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed together. Gamora. So I don't know if they're like a continuation of one city or like. Is it like Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri? Like you're just all one? That was one of my guesses. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that Gamora really got fucked in this. I mean, apparently we don't know that all the people of Sodom were bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, I'm assuming that like maybe Gamora was the good side of town. Mm. And they. That's where the fiancés were, and yeah. they were like, but god damn it, we're in Gamora! <laughs> yeah, well, in any case, God decides that all of it sucks, and so he rains down the burning sulfur. And remember, they're running away from, basically, explosions as Sodom and Gomorrah are just devastated in fire. 
and they're not supposed to look back. Lot's wife looks back. Fucking bitch. Which they are not fucking supposed to do, and she Mm -hmm. becomes a pillar of salt. Oh, uh, so she becomes salt because she saw the explosions and didn't listen to the word of God. Yeah, you she weren't supposed back. to look back. Mm-hmm. She back. Damn it. My mom always uh, makes reference to this moment in the Bible. It's honestly one of my favorites. She'll be like, you know, you can't do X, Y, and Z or you'll turn into a pillar of salt. <laughs> oh, man. When I see her next week, I'm going to totally bring that up. <laughs> I feel like it's a really interesting cinematic kind of moment, right? There's this like epic destruction in the background and she turns, but she knows she's not supposed to. And then boom, salt. How has this never been made into a movie? I don't know. I don't know if it has. I'm sure it has, actually. But actually, I do think that we should all take a second to Google Lot's wife, because I thought about doing this moment for the art review, but I Googled Lot's wife, and then I saw what the results were. Lot's wife, pillar of salt. But, like, there is a pillar that people think is... Oh, I was just going to say, there's a Mount Sodom. Yeah, right there. Yeah, Mount Sodom is a real place. But yeah, there's like a pillar. There are a few pillars yeah. that people have thought about, but there is a pillar in particular where people are like, oh yeah, that's Lot's wife, which I thought was super interesting. Fantastic. Dude, she, some of the caricature of her, she was a babe. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say that her husband had a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> God seems to spare Lot because of Lot's connection to Abraham. Like, remember the angels are looking for righteous people. They immediately run into Lot and then they stop looking for people. So um, it's interesting that there is a family link to Abraham that implies that Abraham is especially holy, that other like peripherally related people seem to have some kind of protection or holiness almost by proxy. But yes, this is where we get the phrase sodomy to refer to homosexuality and specifically to anal sex. It's also possible that it's about crime and inhospitality. Like the story isn't necessarily about the homos being homo. There isn't any gay love or like gay relationship or gay affection in the story at all. It's, you know, about people trying to commit acts of violence against strangers And so it's possible that the point of the story is less like burn the gays, no pride parades. And it's more like when people are, you know, trying to violate laws of hospitality and to try to violate people against their consent, that that is the crime here. This is the reason why we talk about homosexuality and gay sex. Like this is, this is it. It's not the only, I guess this isn't the only passage in the Bible that talks about this, but it's one of the big kind of incidents. I mean, interesting. so I just, I have so many opinions on why that's bullshit, but just, I don't think this is the point of this, <laughs> but <laughs> that's okay. Again, another reason why this book just has problems. Yeah. This is also, uh, so sodomy is a legal term for the longest time, and it usually refers to anal sex, but it can also refer to oral sex and rape and, like, all kinds of various... It's basically, like, sexual deviance is the umbrella term of sodomy. And when you think about it, I mean, it's such a perfect example of... I feel like there are a lot of very conservative arguments against things like, you know, the quote-unquote gay lifestyle 
And the examples that are cited are always things that like, no one is against this. Like you think that you're like, you're leaping to this conclusion. It's kind of like when the argument was that trans people were going to be sexually molesting children in bathrooms. And it's like, nobody wants children to be sexually molested, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like the, that equation doesn't equal any, like. Hmm. Right. Like this story is bad because it's rape. Like the gayness is completely irrelevant to the reason why we agree that it's bad. Yeah. Like literally I could give a rat's ass honestly about the fact that they wanted to rape a man. It's the fact that they wanted to rape in general. Right. Right. And like as a mob, which is yeah. freaky. Yeah. It's very disturbing. I hate people. <laughs> God damn it. I'm like yeah. infuriated. This biblical oh, time yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing this whole emotional moment. I am. I'm like, God. And I'm sorry. I know that I've said things about the book being crap. And I know that we shouldn't say that because a lot of people really hold true to this book. And find comfort in it. And I think that's important for people to, you know, have whatever they need to be comfortable. But like, God damn it, this is some bullshit. But again, the interpretations are unfair. And I think we all agree that they're bad the way that they've been interpreted. Yeah. But if you look at the story as a whole, the story is about looking for righteousness in bad places, finding people who are good and then getting them out of the bad places so that God can punish the bad people. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things where uh, you could you can kind of see what you want to see out of this. And it makes sense that this is a story that could bring people comfort in times of trial or comfort in general, even though it's also being used to inflict hardship on, on other people. Yeah, I mean, people are going to be, I, I get that. Like, people are going to be like, okay, well, I'm a good person in a bad world. Like, obviously, I'll be protected and blah, blah, blah. But at the expense of what? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're going to stick with Lot and his family for just a sec. So Lot ran off to a town. Yes. A and his wife town. is salt. And his wife is salt. So she is out of the picture. But his daughters are safe and still virgins. Yes, that is correct. Thank God. But their fiancés are dead, so they're single. <laughs> I mean, hey. that's good for them. It seems like they dodged that bullet. Right. <laughs> I forgot. Oh, I forgot to say the story of Lot's wife uh, seems to be a kind of folk tale that accounts for that accounts for a natural phenomenon. It's kind of like, do you remember the Devil's uh, Devil's Tower? No. Uh, well, uh, anyway, the Devil's Tower is a it's a thing in Wyoming. It has like vertical ridges on it, just because of the way that the stone has worn. And like the local Native American legend is that like a bear was trying to climb on top of it to get at like a child or something and its claws like scratched down. And that's why it has the vertical ridges in the same way. Like it seems that this is a folk tale that accounts for a pillar of salt is, Oh no, that's not just any pillar of salt that like we kind of can't explain why it's there because rocks are weird and erosion and blah, blah, blah. That's Lot's wife. You know what I mean? Okay, so yes, um, we're keeping with Lot and family. So they leave the little town, apparently. They go there because Lot is, I mean, I guess he was probably just not a very good mountaineer, but they decide to leave because he's kind of too afraid to stay, which, you know, I find that very understandable. The nearby metro had just been devastated in an act of collective punishment, so I can see why he wants to stay away from, like, other people, you know? Yep. 
Is he going to go home to Uncle Abraham? So they decide to go into the mountains. God damn it. That's where they didn't want to go. And that's where you sa- why you sacrifice your wife. Yeah. I mean, he didn't sacrifice her. She turned around. Yeah, but if maybe if they would have gone to the mountains, she wouldn't have felt the need to turn around. I... He set her up for failure. This is I all Lot's fault. Super don't agree with that, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, so there's no wife. We have no fiancés. So it's just Lot and the daughters. So they get to the mountains, and I guess they're just kind of chilling up there. And the daughters start talking about how there are no men to give them children. Oh, no. And it it seems that in some interpretations, they think that they might be the last people on Earth, which is weird and I don't really get, but that's kind of a pervasive interpretation. But anyway. I don't like where this is going. They got no husbands, and they're like, everyone else in the world is having babies, so they get lot drunk. <sighs> they pour him a lot of wine. On two consecutive nights, and on each night, one of the daughters oh, gets to business. Their daddy. Yeah. Oh, God. oh poor <laughs> choice. Yeah. Okay. okay, so they they feel as though it's their duty to repopulate the world. Yeah. Okay. Either they want to repopulate the world, or they're just like, I want to have kids. Meh. But either way, I need somebody to love me, daddy. I mean, serious daddy issues. Yeah, man. So according to the text, he doesn't know when they lie down or when they get up. So he's so drunk that he like doesn't really, he blacks out for the entire experience. But then there are some arguments about the exact spelling of the Hebrew text. Apparently based on the like lettering and the diacritics used, it could be that the text implies that he didn't know when they laid down, but he did know when they got up. But then if that's the case, then he knew what happened on the first night and still let them get him drunk on the second night. Mm. And then there are, there are even people, this is kind of a wild theory based on a like later passage that says that if you like lust after fornication, you will consume your own flesh. So Based on that, they think that he was lusting after his daughters. Then they decided they wanted kids. And he's like, ooh, you know, I really don't know if I can go through with this. So they get him drunk. And he just kind of needed that plausible deniability to get it done. Which is also just like fucking like... Oh my gosh. The the moral ramifications... I mean, it just sounds like they're just keep trying to make excuses. And Mm -hmm. talk about out of the frying pan and into the fire. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's really interesting. It's kind of a back and forth of non-consent, right? Because he offered them to the crowd to rape, but then he is raped by them. So it's this weird kind of also coming about-iness of, you know, when you treat your children badly, they'll treat you badly. God. But, like, in a sexual way. If that's not, like, completely don't put your parents in a home. yeah i mean and it's just like the ethical dilemma especially because as his daughters he owns them as property so the power dynamic is like ridiculously weird the incest is super weird the consent is super weird like every individual part of this is just like an ethical dilemma that looks like a yarn ball so anyway that's not great Um, sweater that i didn't want to unravel right 
Uh, it's worth saying, too, that Muslims reject this story, apparently. Oh. They're pretty much on board with the rest of the things that Lot does. Like, my understanding is that they believe in the Sodom and Gomorrah story, but they don't They don't believe in this. <laughs> this is not Interesting. A they were just like, well, that sounds like crap, so no thank yeah. you. Yeah, I don't really know. I guess I don't understand enough about like the compilation of Muslim scriptures to understand like what the editing process would look like or like how that decision was made. But in any case, then it turns out that, I mean, what they wanted did happen. They both turn out to get pregnant. I have so many questions about that because what does he do when he finds out that they're pregnant? Like, they just are miraculously pregnant. Do they lie to him? Do they tell him? How does he feel about this? Does he ever find out if they're his kids? Like, I have so many questions. <laughs> they're just like chilling in a cave. Yeah, I, I'm assuming these aren't answered. Yeah, no, these are not answered at all. This book. <laughs> just kind of gloss over it. Oh, oh hey. Like, I'm pregnant. Gift from God. Gift from God. I mean, have you heard about Sarah? <laughs> right. We do know what happens to the kids, though. Okay, so they're important later on, I guess. I mean, they're kind of important the way Noah's descendants are important, where, like, they they just are the progenitors of, like, tribes. Okay. So one is the father of the Moabites, and the other is the father of the Ammonites. Uh, Moab means up from my father, and Ammi means son of my clan. So both of their names are kind of the folk etymologies of the Moabites and Ammonites is, like, my dad fucked me. Yeah. Which is like super weird. I'm a child. Yeah, right. So uh, long story short, the Moabites and the Ammonites are kind of like neighboring kingdoms by Israel. And it seems that they have kind of like an asshole cousin relationship with Israel and they don't really get along. So this seems to be like a folk etymology for like, oh, those dicks, like they're a product of incest. Can't ever trust them. Yeah. You know how they you know how they are. Yeah. Caves. <laughs> Caves. Uh, so yeah. Never trust anyone in a cave. Okay. So how how does Lot deal with Abraham? Like how does this all tie together? <laughs> we cut we cut away from Lot at this point, and I don't think that we see him again. Okay, but I thought there was like a whole fucking thing with Lot. That is the whole thing with Lot. Oh, literally, that's just the... I thought Abraham... Okay, hold on. I have so many words trying to spew out of my mouth right now that it just sounds like gibberish. Not any different than most times I talk, but still. <laughs> I thought that there was like an Abraham Lot throwdown. No, the throwdown was... I mean, quote-unquote throwdown was when they decided to divide because there weren't enough, um, whatever, pastures. Oh. Insofar as Lot and Abraham have a feud, it's just that their herders are like, there's not enough space and I'm going to fucking kill this guy because he's all up in my grill. Uh, so then we have an episode that is kind of reminiscent of what happened in Egypt where Abraham goes to this place called Gerar and the king is King um, Abimelech and he takes Sarah because Abraham says that she's his sister and she's too hot, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't want to get killed while someone else is like, I want to fight your sister. Uh, so God comes to Abimelech and is like, you fucking took a married woman! And he's like, dude, what? This is all just like a misunderstanding. Yeah. So Abimelech takes Sarah back to Abraham and is like, what the fuck, dude? Are you trying to set me up here? You said that she was your sister. And Abraham says, 
Yes, she is my sister technically. She's my half-sister because we have the same dad but different moms. Twist, extra incest. Oh, jeez. I'm... <laughs> okay, so she's the daughter of Tara as well? Yeah, it seems. God, I have so many kids in this story. I need a family tree. Um, You can find them. I think there's one on Wikipedia, actually. Mm-hmm. See you guys in 20 minutes after that Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> after that rabbit hole. Yeah. <sighs> so anyway, Abimelech gives them a bunch of silver and livestock and slaves for the trouble. And then there's like a dispute around a well where Abraham and Abimelech swear a treaty. So they stay on good terms. It's kind of inscrutable to me, to be completely honest. It's kind of one of those things where you come out the end and you're like, I don't really know what I was supposed to get from this. My understanding is that it's, like, a historical thing that, like, explains something in broader, like, Jewish geopolitical history, but whatever. So then, just like God promised, Sarah does have a son. They name him Isaac, or Yitzchak, which means he laughs. Aww. Because uh, remember when Sarah laughed at the idea of having kids? Oh, Kind of precious. Isn't it? Uh, so when Isaac is born, Abraham is 100 years old. And Ishmael, so that's Hagar's son by Abraham, is 14 when Isaac is born. And apparently he, like, makes fun of the child. He mocks the child. Uh So Sarah goes to Abraham and she's like, get both Hagar and Ishmael the fuck away from me. Ishmael will never share an inheritance with Isaac. Because she's like, this is my baby and your fucking stepbaby. Get the fuck out of here. So Abraham is super stressed about this. But God says not to worry, because Isaac will be the father of Abraham's nation, but Ishmael will also be the father of a different nation. Is Israel and Ishmael supposed to sound the same? Oh, Tara. Uh, no. But that's cool. Ishmael, uh, his name means God has hearkened, like God has uh, listened or whatever. Um, Israel means God rules. So it's truly, they both have L at the end of it because L means God, like Michael, like Gabriel, like we've talked about before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, Ishmael and Israel just share that etymology. Okay. Sarah is fucking sick of having Hagar and Ishmael around. Abraham is like, I mean, you guys are going to be fine. So Abraham gives Hagar and Ishmael some food and water and just sends them off into the desert. Oh, they're just like, peace? Because he's like, God said it's going to work out for you, so good luck. I mean, Sarah's the one that offered Hagar to Abram. But that was before she knew that she could have a kid. Right, and she, and it, like, Hagar just, like, really wasn't into it. It seemed like she was always kind of like, no thanks. She wasn't into it, and, like, I have, like, I have a few reasons why she wasn't into it. Like, she shouldn't be into it. Being raped by her master because she was a slave without the ability to give consent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, none of this is her doing, and she just keeps getting screwed. Yeah, she's the victim. Dude, right? More ways than one. And then Ishmael, who is 14, and, like, every 14-year-old in the whole wide world is a total shithead. And so Ishmael is just, like, shooting his mouth off, and Sarah's like, that's it. You and your mom are gonna die in the desert! (laughs) Like, okay. Can you imagine if the actions that you made as a 14-year-old completely decided your future like <laughs> and not only your future but your mom's future yeah. and you're just like you're just screwed screwed 
they uh, go off into the desert, but they, of course, run out of water. As one does in the desert. <laughs> As one does in the desert. This is so sad. Hager puts Ishmael under a bush and then walks a bow shot away, like in terms of distance, because she can't stand to watch him die. <gasps> oh, so she's shoving him under a bush? Well, she just like, she puts him somewhere where he'll be in the shade. And then like walks away so that he can like so that they can just die in the desert without having to like watch each other die. Oh my god, that is uh, so that that heart wrenching. That's heart wrenching. Oh my god, but do you you guys want to know how fucked up my brain is? I'm thinking if there's a bush in the desert, that means that they digged enough that there would be water source for them to be able to live. So honestly, but a lot of those a lot of those desert plants are really hardy. Like they don't need much water. Yeah. So, like, it's very possible that it would just be, like, dry roots. That's true. Alright, fine. Uh, it's the super sad scene, but then God comes to Hager, and he says that he could hear Ishmael crying, <laughs> and he shows them a nearby well, so they both survive, so that Ishmael can grow up to become a great nation. Of? Israel? So, he grows up in the desert, he learns to be an archer, and he marries an Egyptian, which, remember, his mom is from Egypt, so that's relevant. Mm. And then, traditionally, his descendants include the Arabians. Mm. Okay, I'm into this. Which, like, we've kind of touched on before how, how Judaism kind of identifies with Jewish ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. In the same kind of way, but also kind of differently, because... Islam tends to have a lot more conversion than Judaism does, but for a lot of Arabs, the tradition of Islam and being Muslim is kind of paired with their Arabic identity. Like it's very complicated. And so like insofar as being an Arab makes you a Muslim, the justification in Islam of having Ishmael as the, you know, progenitor of the Arabians, that means that you have a, an ethnic link in addition to a religious link, if that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's the last that we hear of Hagar and Ishmael too, is just that they kind of go off and do their own thing. And there is an offshoot of Abraham's genetics that around. There are so many loose ends to the story well it's kind of like the noah story where they're trying to the jewish people who are composing these stories like they're probably trying to explain their relationships to people around them like like we saw with the moabites and the ammonites so you know it's possible that they just saw that the arabians also spoke a semitic language and they were like hmm i wonder if we're related to you you know what i mean like we're half siblings I mean, who can say? But a lot of these stories are in circumstances like that. I'm not saying that was the exact circumstance. Sure. All right. I understand. So this is, so incoming, probably the biggest of our anecdotes of today. Okay. So this is Genesis chapter 22. God calls out to Abraham. God's like, Abraham! And Abraham's like, what? And God says that Abraham needs to take Isaac, Abraham's only son, whom he loves, up the mountain of Moriah, which is in Jerusalem, and sacrifice him. I was like, here it comes. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. that was unexpected. Okay. Yeah, if you, if you like Google Abraham or Isaac, these, this is usually the picture that you find is this scene. So they walk three days to this mountain, and they leave the servants behind. 
all the servants at the base of the mountain, while Abraham go on a little father and son hike. And Abraham is over 100 years old. How old was Isaac? It doesn't say. It might say that he's like a youth. So, you know, 12, 14. Okay. So about the same time that he tried to kill Ishmael. Right. He really doesn't want them to get past that preteen time. He really doesn't. Yeah, Abraham's Abraham puberty is a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. He's, he's like, God damn, these teenagers. Abraham is the patron saint of acne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Raging hormones. <laughs> so, also, Isaac is carrying the wood on which he is going to be sacrificed and burned, which is, like, such a cruel detail. <laughs> it's like carrying the cross. Exactly. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay. But so, as they're walking up this mountain on, like, a father-son hike, and Abraham singing Girl Scout songs, and Isaac's like, hey, wait a minute, where's the offering? Hey, wait a second, do we have any songs from church camp about this? Oh, Yeah. Um, I only have Father Abraham had many sons. I don't have anything about like the sacrifice. I don't have anything about Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm out. Ugh, man. All right. It's disappointing, but. I know. I know. Take it up with my mom. All right. I'll call her. Yeah. Let's call Mary right now. Mary! (laughs) So anyway, Isaac is like, where's the offering? Like, I thought that we were having a barbecue. I see no barbs to queue. And Abraham replies that God will provide the lamb for the offering, which is such a sweet little lie. Such a sweet little lie. A sweet baby lamb. And honestly, I find this super ominous because Isaac is probably used to his dad doing insane shit because his very birth was an act of God. So when Abraham is like, he like looks at his son who he's about to kill and he's like, God will provide I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Isaac is like, all right, sure, whatever, man. Like, yeah, weirder things have happened. Yeah, like my parents are both a million, like whatever. <laughs> they get to the top of the mountain. Abraham builds an altar out of wood, and he binds Isaac, and he gets out the knife. I'm like, what you doing, Dad? But Isaac's like, sure, Dad, bind me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Abraham raises the knife. And then the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham and is like, you don't have to do it. It's enough that you are willing to do it. It's a little test. I want it said that Isaac's reaction is not at all depicted in the process. So like based on the biblical account, it kind of sounds possible that Isaac never realizes what his dad is about to do. I mean, it's very obvious that like, right, they, he was tied up. So he probably guessed that something was up. But it's unclear if he's like sobbing and screaming for his dad to stop or if it's just like, he's like, what are we doing, dad? Your shadow's behind me. That's kind of funny. And then it, like the angel stops him before he ever realizes. Like we have no scope for what Isaac is feeling in this moment. Uh, whoa. Yeah. Like, how's Isaac and Abraham's relationship after this? Apparently it's fine. I mean, Isaac didn't know what he was doing. It's like, oh. That was fun, well, Dad. And Abraham has, again, like a super close relationship with God. I mean, if I were Isaac and my birth was literally a miracle, I feel like it'd be really easy to be like, listen, my dad's kind of weird, but he literally has God's ear. So, like, I'm not going to question. 
But I, I super agree with you. I think that there must be a little bit of, remember the time you almost killed me? Because I'm never really going to forgive you for this. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, I just can't, like, no, Isaac, you can't go play with the other shepherd boys. You need to stay <laughs> home and do your chores. And him being like, you tried to murder me! Yeah. <laughs> right? I can do what I want! <laughs> really? <laughs> right. So Abraham looks out and... After the angel stops him, Abraham looks out and he sees a ram with its horns caught up in some bushes so it can't escape. And so he sacrifices that instead. Instead of just freeing it? Yeah, well, they need a sacrifice and he can't kill Isaac. Oh, I thought God was just going to like let it be like, you know what, you guys, we're good. We don't need No, no, honey, it. God needs blood. Yeah, well, you know. So then an angel comes back. So this is from Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Okay. But yeah, so like, what, what's your what's your initial uh, reaction to the angel making all of these promises after Abraham has offered to kill his son, or has almost killed his son, rather? I mean, just again, that we really need to own the fact that angels are dicks. <laughs> like, they've done nothing for us. <laughs> like, like, I mean, if we just think about, like, even the times when they've, like, supposedly saved people, it's like, you know so much heartache with that saving that it's like fuck but I mean are they getting a bad rap though because they're just like the messengers of God you know like yeah you don't really want to do this or tell you this but you know I don't know that's true but at the same time it's also like is are the angels even truly real or are they just indeed just random like little puppets that God is hiding behind so again is this all in fact just God being a goddamn dick? <laughs> <laughs> like all valid questions. It's just insane. Sounds like it you is. might be a little insecure. Like Abraham, how much do you really love me? Will you kill your only son for me? I need <laughs> to know. Be like, I guess we need to keep some people going, so you can keep them. But that ram over there <laughs> seems to be having a bad day, so just let him die. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm more upset for the ram than I am about them wanting to kill the kid. I'm like, God, this ram was just living its life. First of all, I think loyalty to God with the understanding that God has the plan is like clearly a part of of the story, right? You get asked to do something that you think is going to be terrible, but then it turns out, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a really prevalent theory that Abraham knew that God was going to protect Isaac or alternately that once Abraham sacrificed Isaac to prove his loyalty to God, that God would resurrect Isaac, that somehow Abraham would have had the faith to be like, I know God, I know him really well, and he is all powerful, so he's probably trying to prove a point, but that he wouldn't fuck me over that bad. And so when I kill Isaac, either he's going to save Isaac, or he'll just bring him back for me and it'll be fine. Which is a lot of faith to have, and the story does not say that explicitly. Yeah. But that's but that's one of the theories, is that Abraham isn't being callous by trying to kill his son. It's that Abraham knew that it'd be fine. 
But even if, wouldn't Isaac be like, oh my gosh, you killed me. Yeah, yeah, but you you came back to life. That's fine. No, you killed me. <laughs> yeah, I would have a hard time bouncing back from that. Yeah, Dude, right. Too. Yeah. If there's anything that we've learned, especially in these two Abraham episodes, it's that there's not a lot of like mental health <laughs> in the Old <laughs> Testament. Like these people are traumatized. They have all kinds of anxiety disorders. Like, I would not blame all of them for having quite a lot of therapy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I will say, too, that it's possible that there are earlier versions of this story where Isaac does die Isaac. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, mm-hmm, you needed that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are two, so there are two separate interactions with the angel right? Because the angel stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. So he just doesn't. He like cuts Isaac loose, presumably, and then he sacrifices the ram. And then the angel comes back to be like, oh yeah, by the way, since you didn't, since you were willing to kill Isaac. And it's like, we're done with that now. We're like fully into yeah, ram. We killed ram. Yeah. Like catch up. So the idea that there are two separate angel interactions seems kind of weird. Like you would think that the angel would be a little bit more efficient about things. So part of the kind of theory and the scholarship is that there was probably an older version of the story. It's possible that Isaac actually does die in the older version of the story, or that, you know, there are several versions that kind of got piled onto each other. And for some reason, the angel coming to stop him and then the angel coming to bless him, those two details ended up staying separate, even though, you know, maybe there was one where the the angel stopped him and maybe there was one where the angel came and blessed him after he killed Isaac. Like, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, either way, man, these are some interesting reasons to get blessed. Right. All I want are my student loans to be forgiven. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, me too. (laughs) So I will say right before we do our art review that there is also a really important Jesus connection Oh. that later, I mean, obviously the story of Abraham exists long before the story of Jesus. Jesus almost certainly heard about it. They walk to the mountain for three days. Remember Jesus dies and is resurrected on the third day. Were they on Mount Olive? They were not on Mount Olive, but they were in Jerusalem. That would have been amazing. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is all about me. (laughs) No, No such luck. Yeah, But you will also notice that, uh, so traditionally Jesus carries the beam of the cross, like the horizontal part, mm-hmm. and they like make you, apparently it was like a thing that they would make you carry it through, it was really heavy, so you'd carry it through the streets and people would like throw shit at you, like it was a humiliation thing, because everything about crucifixion is fucking gruesome and terrible. And so the idea that Isaac is carrying the wood that he's going to be sacrificed on, and the sacrifice to god he's the only son of a holy figure right he's you know the beloved son of the father Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. all of these things christians later christian traditions will kind of touch on these details and be like look how fucking conspicuous this is that isaac's sacrifice is so similar to god's and just like with isaac jesus doesn't actually like die and stay dead like jesus comes back in isaac's case he never dies in the first place yeah Unless that was all a change in story anyway. Yeah, yeah, which is also possible. So now it's time for our art review. Okay, I'm ready for this. 
So this one is by Rembrandt van Rijn, who is a Dutch painter in the 1600s. And the angel is a ginger again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the scene where the angel is stopping. This is like when people paint Abraham. This is usually, like I said, the scene that they choose. It's the angel stopping Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. So the angel is at the top of the painting. He's holding Abraham's wrist. And so Abraham is dropping the knife. And with the other hand, the angel appears to be threatening to karate chop Abraham in the face. <laughs> and Abraham's looking at her like, what? I'm doing what God told me to do. It literally looks like he is, that this angel is about to like just slap. <laughs> just, just slap the crap out of yeah. yeah. Like, God damn it. I told you not to kill your son. I said you didn't have to. And he was like, but, but. He's like, but no, I want to. God yeah. told me to. But I'm really not trustworthy. So. <laughs> and Abraham's looking like Santa's worst younger brother. <laughs> like he's clearly old as balls and like, is like, what? Fuck. I was trying to kill my son, but I thought I was supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? All I want to do is good, but I'm old. Yeah. And one of the things that I really want to point out in this particular painting is that we've talked about the two two figures, but the third figure at the bottom, Isaac, yeah. is bound with, he looks, it looks like a, such an interesting position for him to be laying in. His hands are bound behind his back and he's laying on top of them. The position of his legs makes it look to me like he's been squirming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And very, I think the most telling thing about this painting is that Abraham's hand is obscuring Isaac's face. He's like holding him by his face. Yes, and also suffocating him. Yeah. Yeah, and it's very much the dehumanizing thing of like, I can't look at you as I kill you. Yeah. He's dropping the knife apparently right on top of Isaac's stomach. Yeah. Hopefully that doesn't (laughs) hit too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that gets some little holy action of like mm-hmm. a soft landing. Poor Isaac. Yeah, Poor he's guy. having a real bad day. It's a real bad day. Poor sweet baby. He didn't do anything. But we'll post this painting on our Facebook group for sure. All I want to do was climb every mountain and <laughs> just have a little picnic. Sing some songs with his dad. Yeah. Like sacrifice a ram, you know. Yeah. Just sadness all around. Yeah, but again, just like with Sodom, it uh, it's an example of a story that is like super grim, but if you try to kind of zoom out of it, it's a story about how God has a plan and even when things look like they're going to be bad, they'll turn out to be fine. Again, everyone in the story needs therapy, but who doesn't? It's also a story about how you can be doing something and be like, "I'm faced with an impossible choice, and everything is the worst." But then, by the end of it, God will figure it out for you. God will always save the day. But God's the one that put you in that position. <laughs> yes, He is. That is correct. Why can't you be more supportive, Heather? <laughs> <sighs> so yeah. Right. That's that's the story of Isaac nearly getting sacrificed. But not really caring. Well, I'm sure that his therapist cared. Gosh, this is just it's just horrible all all over the place. Yeah, yeah. This is a dark this is a dark episode. 
Uh, so then we wrap up the chapter with some genealogy of Abraham's brother's descendants, which I don't know why we do. We're going to skip over that. <laughs> so then Sarah eventually dies at 127 years old. Yeah, she lived a good life. Yeah. If oh, she yeah. gave birth around 100, then so she got to see him reach a good age, considering how fucking old she was. Yeah, absolutely. Isaac definitely like got to know his mom, which is good. Yeah. So Abraham buys a tomb from some Hittites, and he buries Sarah there. They offer it for free, but he insists on paying a fair price. Mm, good okay. of him. Yeah. Keep the wages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Economy. Mm-hmm. And so that tomb actually is the, uh, I believe it's called the Tomb of the Patriarchs. And it is a real place, traditionally. Uh, the Tomb of the Patriarchs in... Hebron in the West Bank. Did they find remains there? Um, I don't know. Okay. But anyway, that's traditionally where where Sarah is buried. And spoiler alert, Abraham will also be buried there. Oh, good. So they get to rest together. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. Abraham realizes, you know, no mom and dad's getting on with with the age so he has one of his senior servants come to him and he asks the servant to swear an oath to get isaac a wife not from among the canaanites because remember the canaanites are cursed because of that noah situation (laughs) so he has the servant go to abraham's home country in mesopotamia so he has him swear the oath and he says put your hand under my thigh (laughs) would someone like to guess what that means put your hand under my thigh (laughs) grab my ass (laughs) <laughs> it means penis it means penis what? Why, why didn't you why did, from everything that we've heard why did we not get that tara why i was gonna say honestly I'm this really, is the weird sex episode you i'm guys. really i'm really disappointed in myself so, so it's like literally grab hold of my penis and swear that you're gonna find my kid's <laughs> wife yeah. Oh my god. Circumcision is sacred. Oh it's god. one of Abraham's big things with God, so his dick is a spiritual object, so <laughs> to speak. It's like swearing on a Bible. Was it, oh yeah, because Abraham got circumcised, right? He was the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was circumcised, and so was Ishmael. So were all the people in his household. So were all the people in his household, that's right. And so of course Isaac was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Isaac was born afterward, and yeah, it's certain that he was circumcised. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like a thing that you make oaths holding something sacred. It's why we swear in like people who serve in Congress in the U.S. They usually put their hand on a Bible or like a legal book of some kind, like something that is of high importance and is sacred. What would you guys choose? Uh, be sworn in on uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> the Iliad. The Iliad. <laughs> I would probably do a picture of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> just like a, like a, yeah. get like a 24 by 36 portrait <laughs> and just be like, will you hold that there? <laughs> and Kamala Harris's knees are shaking. She's like, are you done yet? And you're like, I swear. And I'm like, like just like caressing her face on the picture. I'm just like, I swear to you. I love you. <laughs> I also want to say, so uh, you make oaths holding something sacred. This is why the word testify and the word testicle are similar. Because <gasps> testis means witness. So it was literally a Wait, thing what? that, you know. Wait, what? Testis means witness? 
testis in Latin means witness. So you testify, you bear witness, and the testicle is the thing with which you bear witness. It was a thing that if you were testifying to court in ancient Rome, you swear by something that's like incredibly important to you and resonates with you personally, your ability to reproduce and like carry on the family name is like a very big deal. So they would hold their balls <laughs> to swear themselves in often. Oh, oh that my. is amazing. So really, if I get sworn into office, I should just get like clay's testicles and just grab those. You should just grab your badge. It's fine. Yes, honestly. <laughs> you don't need a man. I don't need a man. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. <clears throat> so yes, uh, it, the servant swears on Abraham's dick because his dick is sacred. Isaac himself really shouldn't be the one to go get his wife. Isaac shouldn't leave Canaan because God promised it to Abraham and his descendants. You know, Abraham doesn't want to run the risk that Isaac is going to, you know, fall in love in Mesopotamia and stay there because Abraham's like, we have a whole thing going. And uh, he says that if the servant can't find anyone, then the servant is released from the oath. He's like, find me someone, make sure that she's, you know, good enough, bring her back. And if you can't, then like, whatever, you don't have to worry about it. But I don't want to risk Isaac going to Mesopotamia. The servant goes and he takes 10 camels and a shit ton of stuff. And he prays to God near a spring where the women will gather water. And he says, if there's a woman who offers him water and then offers to water the camels, then she's the one. He immediately sees Rebecca. Rebecca. So Rebecca is actually Abraham's brother, Nahor's. So his brother's name is Nahor. Abraham's brother's granddaughter so it's abraham's great niece okay she's a virgin thank heaven thank oh goodness you know you know if we needed to save some people we could have given up that virginity yeah i mean uh and then isaac is her first cousin once removed so uh rebecca gives the servant a drink of water from her jar and then she waters the camel so the servant's like boom done set didn't even have to sit down didn't, I mean, he did sit down, but whatever. He, he wouldn't have had to. He could have skipped that step. Yeah. Um, so the servant goes to her house, and he explains what happened. And Rebecca's dad and brother are like, um, sure, whatever. This sounds like God's plan. So they do like a gift exchange thing where the servant gives, because he brought all the shit, right? So he gives Rebecca all of this like jewelry and stuff. And the family gives some stuff as like a dowry for Abraham. The family wants the servant to stay for 10 days but the servant wants to leave. And so everyone asks Rebecca and Rebecca says, I would like to leave, which I think is like a super interesting consent microcosm in the story, right? Because the permission for her to go and to get married to someone else, that permission was granted by her father and brother. Right. But like the leaving, the actual departure, that's like, well, what do you think, sweetie? It's up to you. Like, it's a, such an interesting, like, tiny bit of power that they give her. And with that tiny bit of power, she's like, I'm, I'm down for this. Okay, so they were like, yes, we say that she can marry. However, if she doesn't want to go, she doesn't have to. Uh, in the next 10 days. Okay. Because it's either you wait 10 days and then you go or you go now. And she's like, I want to go now. Uh, okay. So it doesn't look like they gave her, like, the full choice of, like, do you want to not get married to this guy? But they gave her just, like, the tiniest amount of control. Yeah, they're like, you can say bye to some people if you want. Yeah, yeah. 
And she's like, whatever, fuck this. I want my rich husband. Yeah, he's important. So she goes. She goes to Canaan. Isaac marries her. And it says that he is comforted after Sarah's death. Because, you know, his mom just fucking died. So it seems that she is kind of his emotional support to get him through that time, which is kind of nice. So it sounds like they maybe had a good relationship. Yeah, or at least one that had enough affection for each other. Like maybe, even if they weren't in love, they seem to have had some amount of affection. Yeah. I mean, good enough. Good enough. Yeah. So Abraham does remarry, and he has a bunch of other kids. Oh, Um, oh. I was not expecting that. (laughs) I thought... At the very end, it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, he like has a bunch of kids. I don't know. Wait. But how how old is he? (laughs) It doesn't matter. Men don't I know, but... Well, he dies at 175. So is this just one woman that's given him a bunch of kids, or is he like... Let's see. Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore oh. him Zimra, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Blah, blah, blah. No, it looks like... Just the one. Well, it says, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. So it sounds like he only married one woman, but he had a bunch of concubines. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But in any case, he dies at 175, and he's buried with Sarah. And because Ishmael and Isaac are so important, specifically Isaac, for carrying on the like big god oath Canaan thing, like the fact that he has a bunch of other kids means that he has you know exponentially more descendants. But we have like a main line, and then we have a bunch of other descendants and children of Abraham who are going to you know also fulfill God's promises. Mm-hmm. So it's like the royal family. Kind of, but it's more like if, you know, he's more like light-sided Genghis Khan. Yeah. Because Genghis Khan was just a huge rapist, and that's why a th- yeah. I think it's a third of Chinese men have some of his DNA. Mm-hmm. Like, he significantly altered the gene pool of the world. <laughs> but, it, yeah, it's, it's more like that, but um, not with the warlord rape and pillage kind of thing. It's more like God promised me I'd have a lot of descendants kind of thing interesting that's fascinating that he i just that was such a plot twist that i wasn't expecting that he was gonna marry again and have more children like because the whole time i felt like god was like you're gonna have kids and he was like i mean i had the one but then Mm -hmm. you came out of nowhere and was like sarah's gonna have one and then it was like all right well that's you know now i gotta get rid of the first one because that pisses off sarah so i'll throw him in the desert and then we have our sweet baby angel, Isaac, and it's like... But he, then he's playing it fast and loose by the end of his life. Right, but then yeah, all of a sudden it's like, like he secured the dynasty that he's just like, well, you know, Sarah's dead. Gotta have those kids that God promised me all those years ago. I was gonna say, at least he's, you know, said that he was gonna have a bunch of kids. Yeah. I will say that I don't think that abraham's other children become relevant again i don't know for certain but i don't think so so it's just like an interesting detail right that he like has all these other kids you could very well have stopped the story and just been like and then he died yeah but instead we have to throw in all these other names that's the fascinating part to me about the bible is like Sometimes they don't give any information to where you're like, wait, what the hell did I just give all this time for to read the story if I don't get any sort of finalization to what happened to the characters? Then other times they're like, 
and he had more children, but they bear no importance to anything. And you're like, wow, okay, glad I learned all their names. Right. Yeah, it's real weird. And it, it just goes to show you that with really, really ancient texts, I mean, sometimes they're combinations of stories or dumbed down versions of stories. Sometimes they're kind of truncated. and Sometimes they're trying to explain, like, like with the Moabites and the Ammonites or the things that we saw with Noah's sons where we had to like account for Noah's like great grandchildren so that we could account for which race is in which region of like Iraq. Like it's this real nuanced thing and it doesn't really matter. But to ancient people who were like, I need to figure out why there are so many people spread out across these various different lands. Like they really needed that explanation so that they could justify the differences between people. But yeah, you're right. It's definitely crazy. Yeah. I just, just time and time again, I just don't know what to believe. <laughs> uh, but so Abraham dies uh, and is buried, and that's that's the end of the Abraham story. In the plot with Sarah. Yes, he is also buried in the in the tomb of the patriarchs. All right, so that's the story of Abraham. What um, what did you guys learn? Honestly, I learned that I've been right all along in questioning <laughs> what the hell we're doing with this. <laughs> whole thing of the bible and that you know god's gonna make a lot of promises and at any point he can turn back and be like well that's not what i really wanted you to do so like it's fine that's what i learned that's a deeply cynical read but okay oh what did i learn be a good person or you are fucked (laughs) we also learned about testicles Oh, yeah. Thank you, Tara. We did learn a lot about testicles. We learned about testicles and testifying and swearing on testicles and sacred penises. Yeah. How sacred the penis is. Mm -hmm. This episode is, like, seriously the weirdest one. I know. It is. Honestly, I've learned that this story makes me talk about things that probably our listeners are going to be like, damn. (laughs) (laughs) So there might be a lot of editing. And listen, with this particular episode, a lot of the content is super dark. Like it, it probably is super upsetting to some people and it's very okay if you don't like it or want to skip it or whatever else. We absolutely support you. But uh, we are still going to talk about it because it's very much in our purview in the Bible and we, you know, we didn't feel like it was appropriate to utterly skip the content altogether. So that that can just kind of serve as the warning. Well, yeah. and I think it's important that we hold true to the fact that one of the reasons why we do this is because, well, at least for me, is because, you know, as somebody who was not educated in the sense of that there are positivity to the Bible, it was just always like, yeah, that's a thing that people like and you don't have to Tara that it just is interesting to me when it's something so absolutely like backwards in the way that I look at it and so to Mm -hmm. listen to these kind of stories and learn about them it just is like wait what good could have come from this yeah so that's where I sit with it it's like it's good for me Mm -hmm. yeah and just also to have extra perspective okay so that's the that's the end of of Abraham part two. The next episode is going to be miscellaneous, which we haven't decided yet on what it's going to be. And then the following episode, we're going to 
pick back up with Isaac and Jacob and Esau, which is going to be very exciting. Isaac, Jacob. Oh, Jacob and Esau are, Jake, are Isaac's kids? Yes. Okay. So yeah. really we're picking up with Isaac and Rachel. Or Rebecca. 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 Yes. Rebecca. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, don't forget to like, review, and subscribe on the Apple Podcast Store. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye. <laughs>